Awesome. So we're starting a series called Revival and Reformation. Who of you have heard those two terms? Revival and Reformation. It sounds big and it is, it is big, but um, we're going to break it down into eatable, edible portions so that you can understand and you can take this home with you and you can carry this message. Because I'm going to just start with two two definitions just so we're on the same page. The first one is revival. And this is, what I, this is the definition that I like, for, especially for this, this theme for these two months. It says, it's a visitation of God that revives individuals and communities in bringing them back to their original purpose and design in Jesus Christ. Okay, so it carries this idea that God wants to pitch up in our midst and by the power of God, not by clever human wisdom, we will be changed but by His visitation. And by the way, this is God's heart, is that He wants to connect with us. And if you read the New Testament, this is also the church, this is how the church was birthed. Think of Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descended, 3,000 people got saved and then it spread the gospel spread across Asia just because of that. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 at the end, I think it's verse 5, he says that I came to you in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So this is so important. It's so important for us to allow God just to, Come and have his way. And we've had an amazing camp last weekend um, there in Hartenbos. The first night it was windy in the physical. On the Saturday night it was windy in the spirit. And God pitched up and it was really amazing. Um, I much more prefer the, the wind in the spirit than I prefer the wind in the, in the natural because our tent got blown away, and we had to come back with four kids. It was not that fun. I guess revival, just understand, is this idea God wants to visit us, and in a revival, He visits His church, whoever is calling out for Him. The second one is, it's reformation. And this is when a visitation of God, when revival impacts society to the extent that it reforms every sphere of life to reflect the kingdom of God. So, to make it practical, it is you coming into the service tonight, you get so blasted away by the presence of God, you just a changed man, you're a different person, and you go back to your, to your school, and everything changes in your school because of that. Or you connect with God, you have an encounter with God, and you start seeing it in your business. It just, there's changes happening, and Everything starts to reflect the kingdom of God and the glory of God and the purpose of God. Your sports team, the sport you play, everything is just glorifying Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus' heart is not only that we serve Him in church, but it's also His heart is that we reflect Him in every sphere of life. Like God, He already has placed ideas, and I believe in this church, for businesses that will be kingdom-minded, that will make lots of money. Yes, that is also needed. But that will reflect 
the kingdom of God and God's heart. And people get into that business, get involved in that business, they'll just get saved because the glory of God is on there. So keep those two definitions in mind. And then I'm going to start with every sermon that I'm preaching. I'll start with uh, just a few stories because this has happened before. Revival has happened before. Reformation has happened before. And I'm going to tell you a very specific story that happened in South Africa. Some of you don't even know this, but this is what our inheritance looks like in South Africa. So it's, it's a story about how the, what, what is known as the Andrew Murray revival. It didn't actually start with Andrew Murray, and it started in the 1860s. Okay, so that's a long time ago, like 150 years, more than 150 years ago. So it started in Montague with there was a there was a church without a duomini and then the Holy Spirit came there and because of people just taking the revival, the visitation of God to wherever they went, it also started happening on a farm close to Worcester. And I'm gonna pick up the story from there. It says, Unlike Montague, where the coming of the Spirit was like a gentle whisper in Worcester, it came like a firestorm. Nor did it come during an organized prayer meeting of church members in town, but according to Emma Murray, this is Andrew Murray's wife, to a farming folk on David Nudea's farm of Onderdurens in the Breda River Ward, close to Wooster. So just normal people on a farm, close to Wooster. It was there that three individuals had faithfully been praying for revival each week over a period of several months. So only three people. They were Jan Nudea, the son of David Nudea, so it's the farmer's son, his cousin, Miss Van Blerk, and Saul Peterse, and colored farmhand known as Saul the Prophet, or Saul the Prophet. It was said that Miss Van Blerk, who taught the colleds on the farm, was particularly distressed by the needy state. And by the way, so there's a lot of references to, to colleds, and this is one of the cultures that we embrace in this church. In, in this church, we don't tolerate culture, different cultures. We celebrate them. And we're going to do something at the end. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to do something at the end that I feel is very significant for tonight. Are you guys excited? Lekker. David Moss. Just prior to the... Just prior to the outbreak of revival, Miss Van Black had felt so burdened for her colored charges that she had prayed almost continuously for a week. Then one evening, without any prior indication, the Holy Spirit, so this is the visitation, descended on a meeting she was holding for them. As these were by, very, by nature very emotional people, pandemonium broke loose. Says, say amen. Yeah. The response so overwhelmed her that she was forced to run out of the building to seek help. The emotional strain of leading them to Christ in such a charged atmosphere soon overtaxed her to the extent that she retreated to Wooster for a week. So this white lady, she couldn't handle the Holy Spirit coming on, on these colored people. On her return, the colored workers came out singing, singing to greet her. Liebenberg tells us that nearly everyone on the farm was saved. Amazing. In a week, everybody on the farm gets saved. Meanwhile, the people on neighboring farms began to flock to the prayer meetings. Young and old, parents and children, white and colored, all together gathered for, to case themselves before God in cries of penitence from the depths of their souls. The Spirit of God had come in such great power that He could not be restrained or contained. So, I think that is an amazing thing. 
happening on this farm. And then Andrew Murray was the duimini, so here, here comes the big shot, and he comes and he visits the farm, and he's actually telling them to stop this because it's out of control. Where have you been in a meeting where the Holy Spirit just takes over? Sometimes it just looks out of control. And, and he's trying to control it, and then Saul, the prophet, he says, look at this. Try now to throw a damn wall around if you can. Because they were, they were praying, and just normal, Andrew Murray was leading them in normal white prayers, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit just came on them again, and everything just exploded. And then Saul the prophet saying, hey, try now and throw a damn wall around this. You cannot control this. For Andrew, Andrew Murray, the situation of must have been indeed challenging. The revival had broken out in the least expected quarters amongst the coloreds who had been probably not even been baptized. In addition to this intense emotionalism, there were also other manifestations. Listen to this. The spirit that enveloped the farmhouse to such an extent that people were crying out for mercy and falling to the ground merely by touching the doorknob. Imagine this. So you're walking into the church here. People just lying there on the floor and saying, Jesus, forgive me. As the news of the revival spread, members of other congregations who wanted to share in this blessing started to arrive in their carts and wagons. For three months, the Nadeas were forced to halt their farming activities to help the influx of inquirers seeking salvation. And then there's another report from Sir Fars Hofmeyer, and he says this, at the part of the Breda River, for instance, which is included in the parish of Worcester, a prayer meeting was started last year, which no more than three or four individuals could be induced to attend. But as soon as the awakening impulse of God's Spirit, this visitation was felt, young and old, parents and children, whites and blacks, at almost every farm were desirous to join in social prayer, and immediately prayer meetings were multiplied. And from that, that impacted the whole, especially the Western Cape, the Stalamos University was started from there. So you see revival and reformation. God, three people praying out, say, hey God, we want this. And then God visits them and he empowers them to change the environment. Who of you, I want this for, for George. I want this for, for, for Shofar. I want this for every church in, in the city. I want... This for every church in South Africa. Because that's the kind of impact that three people can have. Three people on a farm outside of a small little town. Back then there was no internet. There was, there was nothing to com- for them to communicate. They couldn't post it on YouTube. They were just praying. And it happened. And God changed people's lives and changed the environment because of that. Okay, so I want to do something very specific before I start with specific sermon for tonight, I want to invite all the colored people in the room, okay? So I've already checked it with Yodia, she's going to come up first. Great. So if, you, if, you've, if you're part of what we would call a, a colored, the culture, Clyde, I want you to, Ursula is actually an art, let's say again. Okay, so again, it's like, I, I hate the word tolerance, because it's such a weak word for me. The Bible doesn't use tolerance, it says love. And love, it means 
to celebrate different, different cultures. In South Africa, we, we shouldn't tolerate each other. We should celebrate this. Okay, so the first thing we want to do, because what we want to do is we want to take the seed that's in, in, their, in their culture, because I believe there's a seed of revival in the, in the culture of the Khalids, and I want us to take hold of that, and we want to pray over them and ask God to release that. And then I'm going to ask Clyde to pray over us, and we're going to receive it from them. So there's, there's something of the image of God that is not represented in the culture of white South Africans or black South Africans, but it's represented in the colored people, and we want all of that. If we embrace that, we receive more of Jesus. And by the way, just random trivia, the shofar, the movement shofar was started by a colored guy. So, <laughs> some of you didn't know that. So all of you are sitting here because of, there was a colored guy that was just obedient to God. He married a white Afrikaans dominee's daughter. Okay? So, we can thank, you should actually, we should be thanking you. Thank you, guys. Great. So let's extend our hands. If you can just, if Luke, if you guys, some of the leaders can come up and we just want to lay hands on them. We want to pray for them. We say, God, release. Be yourselves. I think that's what I'm also hearing from God. Just be what God has called you to be. Like I would be, it would be so boring in this church if Yodia is not herself, huh? Amen. Oh, Caitlin. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Lord, Today, we want to celebrate family, God. It's not, the, the, the first culture is not black, white, colored, any, any kind of race, God. But the first culture is Jesus. And we celebrate the Jesus culture in all of them, God. But we also, we celebrate the uniqueness that you have given them in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you awaken the seeds of revival in all of them in the name of of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Just, just pray out loud. Just say, God, I want more of this seed that they carry, the revival. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit on them in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you that we can bless them, Lord. And we know that if we honor a prophet, we'll receive a prophet reward. Lord, we, tonight we just open ourselves to this amazing culture that just brings life and passion South Africa. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Clyde, can I just ask you to just pray over us? Yes, Father, thank you for this prophetic action that we're doing here this evening, Father. We can hand over our seeds, Lord, of our heritage, of tribulations that turned into joy, where you came in, Lord, and changed our lives and gave us an identity in Christ, Lord. Father God, we, we thank you for this house that could usher in um, diversity that wants to learn about us and that we can impart, Lord. Thank you that we can exchange stories, that it can bring reconciliation and restoration, Lord. And Lord, thank you for acceptance. And Lord, this house will be a model for South Africa that can break this racial, this racial tones that's there, the polarization. This house will show your diversity, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we honor you. Amen.
I say, this year, Clyde, he was, he was in an organizational team of a men's camp, and we had to say, this year, after everything. So if you want to interrupt the service tonight with this year, you're welcome, because we want the revival. Amen. This year. Vivian, can you say that? This year. She's from Switzerland. So we're teaching a lot of culture tonight. Great. So I want to do it, make it very, very practical. Um, and we're going to start small, then we're going to go big. I'm, I'm love thinking big thoughts, thinking how we can change the world, because I, I believe it's important to dream. And I know that God has stirred in my heart and, and so many of you that we need to change the world. We need to change the world. It is not lacquer. The world is not lacquer. It's... There's, a, there's something that needs to happen. So just a couple of stories. So in December, um, my, my sister and her husband, they were driving in Hermanus, and they were driving past a lifeguard. They were cycling, and somebody was trying to throw stones or throw him off his bicycle um, with stones and then steal his bicycle, and they, they could stop and they could help this guy. So it was the one... One story. Then my dad came back from a house in Rosenwald, close to Wooster, and he said, "Hey, um, somebody broke into a house in Wooster." And then my sister's car broke down on the N1. Somebody said, "No, I'll help you." And then her phone was stolen. And then a few days after that, I was sitting on in, in uh, on Newlands, and I was watching the cricket. And there, there's, a, there's an airplane coming by, and big on the airplane, it said, Mavericks New Dancers. Mavericks is a strip club in, in um, Cape Town. I was thinking, yes, maybe I should get a few students just to vandalize that banner or something. Like, what would, how would you feel if your mother is the new dancer? Something like that. Just, and I'm like, Jesus, we need to change this world. And then... Lekker. And then on, on New Year's Day, the morning, 5 o'clock, I was woken up by an alarm. So we live close to the, close to the sea in, in San Pajarmanis area. And I, as I walked out of the door or ran out of the door, I saw two guys standing at the front of our, of our property. And I'm like, I'm in my underpants and a T-shirt. I didn't know what I was thinking. I was just running just running. I didn't know what I was wanting to do. I just ran after them. And I ran after them on the tall road. And then suddenly, I don't know if, if, if this has ever happened to you, but then they just stopped. It's like you want to fight, but they just stopped. And I was like paralyzed. Like, what, what, am, what should I do now? And I ran to them and I'm like, hey guys, did you take anything? And they said, no, you didn't. No, we didn't take anything. And I'm like, we want to build a new South Africa. And I, and I saw this is not working. This is not working. And I said, God loves you. <laughs> and we came back and we had all these discussions because obviously oh, then another thing happened. A friend came, um, had his bike tied to the back of his car. It's almost impossible to steal his bicycle, 60 grand worth of bike on the back of his car and somebody broke in and stole the bicycle. So that's within a month. I'm like, Jesus, we need to change this world. It's costing 
Not me, but it's costing, especially my sister and my family, a lot of money. And then we had all this discussion. Hey, how are we going to change this world? Like, maybe better security, higher walls, better, what are we going to do? But no, the answer is, people must meet with Jesus, they must experience revival, and from there, must reformation must come. That's, that's how this topic, by the way, was born. Just by the devil trying to tell us that he has a hold on us, and we must build higher holes. Walls, and we must get better security, and we get, must get paintball guns. We had so many clever ideas, drones with paintball guns that will shoot the people when they come in and trigger and stuff. And it's, it's nice talk, but that's not going to change the world. It's revival and reformation. And then I'm like, God, so where do we start? And the first thing that I felt was, is that we need to start with ourselves all of you are amazing and awesome and you are a gift from God to this world and you have been called to change and impact your environment. But so many of you don't believe this. And so many feel you cannot do this because you are pacified by feelings of guilt. And by the way, that's the topic for the night. The great pacifier. Feelings of guilt. Who of you know what a pacifier is? Do you have parents in the house? Great. It's a dummy. So I don't know if you should like the dummy or not, but we use the dummy, and sometimes it's of help, sometimes not. But if you, especially now with little Julia, she's one year old, if, you, if she's crying in a bed and the dummy, you, she can't find the dummy, and you find the dummy and you put that dummy in her mouth, the moment the dummy, the, 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 the dummy touches her mouth, her lips, she gets pacified. She literally dives into the bed. Like it's... Amazing. And she sleeps for at least 30 seconds after that. <laughs> but it's amazing to see. You just put it in her, on her lips and she's like... <laughs> and she sleeps. And that's what I see is happening with the church and so many of you sitting here. The devil comes and he tells you that you are this and this and this and this and he pacifies you by feelings of guilt. I'm going to look at, at a few things specifically. So, write this down. You can go and read it up in your quiet time. Genesis 3. And just look at what happened when sin came into this world. So go and read it. Because if you, if you see Adam and Eve's response there, tell yourself, I am not allowed to respond in this way. Because that was the wrong response. Sometimes... You look at somebody and you're like, okay, that guy made a fool of himself. Okay, program my mind. I will never respond like this. And this is what you should do with Genesis 3. And I'm going to look at a couple of things. And then we're going to go into what, has, what does Jesus say about feelings of guilt. So, if you look at Adam and Eve, the first thing that happened, they became aware of their nakedness. So that represents their innocence was taken away by sin. Not only their innocence, but also their confidence. They had to cover 
themselves up. They weren't confident anymore just to be themselves, just to be. And I don't, I'm not telling you to run around naked. I'm just saying this is what happened with Adam and Eve. And this is still something, metaphorically speaking, that happens to us. Sin comes in and you feel guilty and you cover up. And you lose your confidence. The second thing that happened to them, they hid from God. And it's probably the stupidest thing that people can ever try and do. They try and hide from God. But I still see it. Especially after December holiday. Like so many young people, they come here, they get saved, they're on fire for God, they lead their friends to Jesus. And then December come and they cannot keep their discipline up by following Jesus. Whether it's through reading the Bible, studying the Word, they don't have fellowship they don't have support, and then they fall, they drink, they smoke dacha, maybe they even have sex, and they feel guilty because of that, and you won't see them until March. And then they will come back and say, hey, I messed up, I'm going to be prepared for December. But that's, that's not life. That's not our, the abundant life that Jesus has for us. And you're just hiding from God, and maybe you have come back from that hiding place now, tonight. I'm saying to you, stay here. You cannot hide from God. This is the best place to be, and we're going to look at that. Okay, so the third thing that happens is Adam and Eve, or Adam, start blaming Eve. If you start playing the blame game, just maybe look into your heart. Maybe you are just feeling guilty. Maybe there's sin in your life, and you are blaming other people because you actually are trying to divert people's attention away from what's happening and what happened in your heart. Fourth thing is, and this is probably the worst thing that happened, is Adam and Eve got cursed. In other words, their identity, they became the sin. And this is what the devil does to us. He tells us, oh, so you're messed up. You are a mess upper. There's no such word. You have failed. You have failed, but you, and now you are a failure. Everything that you're going to try, it's gonna, same thing's going to happen. The same, December's going to come, same thing's going to happen. You don't even have to go to church. You don't have to try that, restore that relationship. You don't ha- even have to try and do this business thing. You are a failure. You become the sin. You don't have to. You're always going to mess it up. You become the sin. Your identity becomes the sin probably the worst thing that I see happening with feelings of guilt and guilt. But what does Jesus say? And this is always be where we actually start the conversation. Say, yes, your feelings are telling you you are guilty, you're a failure, you are useless, you are stupid, you will never make it. But what does Jesus say? What does he say? What's he say? And I want you to read with me Colossians 2. 13 to 15. I'm going to do, do it in groups. So the idea is you turn to the to two people in this row, turn to two people behind them. So you're not allowed to only have a group of people in the same row as you. Do you understand? Okay, so turn around, turn your chair around, meet some new people. Introduction, a great introduction would be, hello, what is your name? My name is this. I am amazing. I'm going to change the world. And you read Colossians 2, 13 to 15. If you don't have a Bible, 
Just one person in the groups of groups of three or four, that's fine. Just read through it. I see Alex is on his own, and he is amazing. Somebody needs to go and read the Bible with Alex. Okay, great. It's only three verses, but it's hopefully you're finished by now. Okay, awesome. So what's Jesus saying? Let's read through this again. When you were dead in your sins, say, I was dead in my sins. And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Say, God made me alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Say, He forgave all my sins. It's amazing. So, so you, were, you were dead and now you're alive. Hey, you should be shouting and screaming. This is amazing. So, so the feelings of guilt, why do you have feelings of guilt? But the truth is, you were dead 
in your sin. But in Jesus, you are alive. So why do you believe your feelings? Why are you pacified by your feelings? Why? Again, then it says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So this is, in, in, in their culture, in the Roman culture, you would receive basically like a, a piece of paper that says you are charged with this, and you, this is the debt that, that you carry. This piece of paper. And so many of us, we are hoarders of all these legal papers. We say, oh, now you've watched pornography. I'm a porn addict. And you take that paper and you hold it with you. And you're like, sorry, Jesus, I'm a porn addict. I don't want a porn addict. And then you go like, hey, you failed in your relationship with your friend. And you're not a, maybe you're not a good friend. And you're also not a good son or daughter to your parents. You're like, I carry all those papers with me. And you just carry them all around. And Jesus, but Jesus said, and now this feelings of guilt is coming. It's becoming overwhelming now. Because this is now, has become who you are. You know, I'm, I'm a porn addict. I'm useless at relationships. I am a failure at school. I am a disobedient, rebellious, useless child. And this is now who you are. And you're carrying yourself around like this. And then you realize, but that's not what Jesus died for. For you only live in this way. But he died so that he could take all of those papers, all of those, the legal indebtedness, everything that you were indebted for, that you have a debt, all those debt, he nailed it to the cross. And some of you tonight, you're just going to go like, oh great, so I'm not guilty anymore. Look at Jesus take it. And Jesus has been trying to take it from you since the day that you've been saved, but you would not allow him. Because you don't understand the greatness and the amazing work that he did on the cross. That's why I am almost sometimes frustrated with us just saying, Thank you, Jesus, you forgave my sins. Like it doesn't mean that much to us anymore. But it's amazing. And then the last verse, it says, and I quoted it last time, last Sunday also, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So it's not only the, the death that he's dealing with, the sin that he's dealing with, the guilt that he's dealing with. He also dealt with the one that's accusing you of all this guilt and of all this sin. He dealt with him, the, the, the deceiver, he dealt with him. And it's not, it was, it's not like, hey, let's put him in prison. It was like, roundhouse fly, roundhouse fly, kick thing, pwah, against the cross. It's like, on the cross, the devil is thinking, this is my day. Jesus is dying. And then three days after that, Jesus raised from the dead. And he's like, no, devil. I tricked you. I won. 
And I'm going to take all my people into this living reality, this lifestyle of freedom, this victory. I'm just going to take all my people. And the only thing that the devil has on us is our feelings of guilt. Like, hey, you're guilty. Hey, you're guilty. So, repeat after me. I was dead in my sin. But the day I met Jesus, I became alive in Christ. All my sin, all my guilt was nailed to the cross. Amen. That is the truth. Okay, so now obviously the question arises, how does the Holy Spirit conviction work? Because the Holy Spirit... He's also speaking to us. And he also, he doesn't allow us, he doesn't want us to sin. How does that work? So let's read a scripture together. And you can just go there, I'll read it with you. John 16, 7 and 8. And you can just, the question that I've put up there is, how will the Holy Spirit us of sin, convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment? So, Because this is what Jesus is saying with, that he will do. So as John 16, verse 6 and 7. Sorry, 7 and 8. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It's an amazing piece of scripture, this. It's better that Jesus went away, because then we get the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Other translations say he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we know the feelings of guilt that the enemy causes, they are accusations. They are not true. They, if the devil is trying to tell you that you are useless and a sinner and you have met Jesus and you have confessed your sin, then he is lying and you shouldn't fall for that trap. But now the Holy Spirit comes and the, Jesus saying that he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But when you think of sin, righteousness, and judgment, what do you think of? The next scripture, or the next two verses, will tell us exactly what the Holy Spirit is trying to convict us in pertaining to sin, righteousness, and judgment. But it's probably not what you are thinking of. Because we have a sin consciousness. And we need to get rid of that. It says, about sin, because people do not believe in me. So, Primarily, the Holy Spirit wants to convict the world, people that do not know Him, of sin. And that they must come back to Jesus because there's forgiveness of sin in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is not to convict the person that's already saved of everything that he has done and how in the wrong he is so that he's pacified, so that he will never, ever mean anything for the kingdom of God. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is the devil. The Holy Spirit also, it convicts the, 
the world of sin and he tells the world and he tells the church that it's stupid. It is the stupidest thing to do is to sin. Because what are you doing? You're literally cutting your lifeline in life. You're saying, hey, I want this phone charged, but I will never plug it into the charger. It's stupid. Sin is stupid. I love that. It is stupid. Say it. Sin is stupid. And then the second thing is, it will convict the world of righteousness because, now, so Jesus is saying, because I'm going to the Father where you cannot see me. So he's saying, I'm not going to be here with you telling you that you, in me you are, you are righteous, but I'm going to send the advocate, the one that's going to stand alongside you, the one that's going to stand when the devil accuses you, and he's going to tell you, if you were, don't listen to this fool, the devil. I am your advocate. I tell you, you are in right standing with God, because that's righteousness. Righteousness means that I am in right standing with God. So say this, I am in right standing with God. It's amazing. That is, my, that is my identity. I am in right standing with God. So here's a, here's a tool for you whenever you commit sin. Because some of you in this room, all of us, we're going to fail. And we're going to commit sin. Sin is stupid. We don't want to do that. We don't want to cut our lifeline. But sometimes we are weak and we fall. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. So the first thing you do is you say, Jesus, I am sorry for watching porn. I am sorry for not obeying my parents. I am sorry for being rebellious. I am sorry for maybe neglecting as a father my child. Whatever it might be. That's the first thing. But then it's confirmed. It's already confessed. You've confessed this. If you can do it with somebody, that's amazing. Because in, in light, darkness cannot dwell. And then the second thing, and so many people don't do this, and then they just get drawn back into sin. You need to confess your identity. You're just like, I am the righteousness of God, devil. Because what are you saying? You're agreeing with the Holy Spirit, your advocate. Your advocate is actually saying, you know what? You are stupid. Yes, you sin. You are stupid. I agree with that. Thank you for saying sorry. But now you need to believe that you are righteous. Hey, we are winning this court case. We actually have already won it 2,000 years ago. You need to start listening to me. You are righteous. And you start proclaiming it over you. Because that is Christ conscious. That's not being sin conscious. And then the last thing, if you think of the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, all of us, when we hear judgment, we're like, no, keep that voice away from me. I don't want to be judged by the Holy Spirit. But if you read here, it says, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So think of it in a, it's a court case scenario. So you have your advocate, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Yes, sin is stupid. The Holy Spirit is saying, you are the righteousness of God. You are in right standing with God and right standing with the judge. And then he nails it. The last line that the Holy Spirit throws at us is amazing. He says, you know what? You are not condemned. But there's somebody else that's condemned. The one speaking to you. The accuser. The devil. And I'm going to kick his butt and I want to do it through you. But so many of us, we're like, oh, Holy Spirit, you have now brought judgment upon me. And then 
No, the Holy, that's never the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's trying to tell you the world is judged. Yes, it's like, most of you have been in this scenario, so they're picking teams for touch rugby, and you can see, okay, this team is a lot better than that team. And then you're like, man, I would rather be in that team because you know that this team is definitely not going to win. So, and, and you somehow you, you make a plan and you side with this, this team because you know they're going to win, and eventually you'll win. But it's the same with the devil and God. You're like, you don't want to side with the devil. And some of you are playing, you're like, no, I'd rather play on the devil's side just by the way that you act. You're like, you don't come to church, you don't surround yourself with, with Christian people. You say, no, I'd rather take pleasure now temporarily then have eternal pleasure. And you side with the devil. That is stupid. And you will be judged, not because you are judged, because, but by, because the devil is judged. Your captain is judged. He is useless. And you want to side with God. So some of you, all of us actually, we need to leave this guilt, condemnation, and feelings nonsense. You're going to leave it at the cross tonight. You can say, shame, go. Proper Afrikaans word, footek. Weg is jy. And, and some of you, are, I can just see it. You're sitting here like, hey, Almo, but I've, I've struggled with pornography now for five years. And once a month I will do it. Then I will, get, I will be free, free for another month. And I struggle again. That does not define you. That's not who you are. You are a child of God. And if you can say sorry, you say, I repent, like Luke explained to us. You turn to God, and you're like not only listening to the keys, you turn to God, and you listen to the Holy Spirit, and you receive the conviction of righteousness, and that the judgment is for the devil. And you're like, man, I'm righteous. I sinned yesterday, but I'm righteous in God. And if you're a parent here, maybe you're going to be a parent one, one day. When my kids, when they sin, when they are disobedient, I tell them, this is not who you are. Why are you doing this? Because I see that's what God does with me. So all of us, we need to come into the courtroom every morning. It's like, oh man, I can't wait for court. Tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I don't know when you guys wake up. Into the courtroom and say, Oh, my advocate, give it to me. Yes, Almo, your son is stupid. Yes, I know, but the second, I like the second part also. Almo, you are righteous. Oh, it's amazing. Tell me, tell me what's happening to the devil. Let me hear. What's happening? Oh, he's judged. He is condemned. The hell was prepared for him. Oh, you know, you can't go from there and feeling, oh man, I don't have confidence, I can't do anything, I won't, I won't change the world. I, it's like, yes, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to be myself. I'm not going to masquerade that I'm perfect, but I'm going to go for this because I know that God wants to use me. When I was, when I was preparing this, I just, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I needed to hear this when I was 16 years old. Because my conscience was so alive. 
everything that I did, I was so sin conscious. I had a, I remember I had a dream once where I smoked a cigarette and I woke up and I'm like, oh, I lost everything. I'm going to hell now. It was, it was a good thing because my parents brought me up with the word and I, I was in the presence of God a lot and it was a good thing, but I never understood this, that I could go into the courtroom with my advocate understanding that I'm righteous, that I'm actually in a right standing with God. And because of that, I had never had confidence sharing the gospel when I was a teenager. Every now and then we would talk and I would say, hey, don't do that to my friends or I'd rather do this. I never had the confidence to explain to them the good news. Why? Because I wasn't confident in who I was and my relationship with God. So if you can get rid of this, because it pacifies you, it, it steals your confidence, feelings of guilt and guilt and shame and, and all of those evil stuff. And you can come into the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And with that obviously comes the fear of God, like, Jesus, I'm never going to mess up because I don't want to mess this. So this is how I deal with it now. So two years ago, we actually had a, at a conference, Shofar's annual convergence conference. In the night, I get this horrific sexual dream. It was, if, you, if I can tell you the detail, you will not even listen to me. Because I, and I, I woke up and I'm like, wow, where did this come from? This is evil beyond evil. Amor, and this, it was birthed in your mind. You were dreaming this. You are bad. You are evil. You are a pastor. You call yourself a pastor. This is the, the voice of the, of the accuser. And then I woke up that morning. And I'm like, this is, I'm not going to take this. Say, God, if I open the door, I'm saying sorry. I don't want any of these dreams again. Because I feel filthy and dirty and honorary and defiled. I don't want it ever again. And then I said, God, but this isn't who I am. I am son of God. I am holy. I am free. I am, I was delivered. My sins forgiven. And I've never had a dream anything like that after that. I still don't know where it came from. But that's in the past. And I'm looking at my advocate and I'm hearing him saying, I'm you the righteousness of God. The devil is judged. Whoever gave you the dream, he is judged. He is judged. And he's going to pay for this. And I'm even telling this story now so that he will pay for it in this moment. Because he thought he's going to steal from me. Because most of you know that I, I come from a background where I was enslaved to pornography. He's going to steal from me. He wants to drag me back into that. And I'm just telling this story and I'm telling the story so that you would know that you can be set free tonight. You can be delivered tonight. And God will take you onto this path of holiness. Let's close our eyes. So if you're in this room and you've never met Jesus, you don't know Him to be a good father. You don't know Him to be a 
somebody who came to set you free. You've always had this fear of God. You don't want to get too close to Him because maybe He'll expose your sin. Maybe He'll do this thing to you where you don't want to be. But tonight you've heard about Jesus coming to you. And there's forgiveness in Jesus. If you've never met Him or you're backslidden, you want to come back and you want forgiveness for sins that you've committed. I want you to raise your hand very high to say, Jesus, see my hand. God, see my hand. Okay, the second group of people. If you're struggling with feelings of guilt, any kind of feelings of guilt, whether it's sexual guilt, whether it's guilt of something, of neglect. In other words, you've neglected to do something, therefore you feel guilty. And I've experienced that a lot of Christians suffer of this because it's not necessarily what they do, it's what they do not do. Any kind of guilt. Tonight's the night that you're going to be set free of this. And just while every eye is closed, I want you to just raise your hand very high. Say, hey, this is... I want to be set free of all my feelings of guilt. I don't want to be so passive anymore. Just, just more hands coming. Just very high. Just raise your hand very high. Tonight's the night. I'm coming into the courtroom to say, Tonight's the night. I'm coming into the courtroom. I'm going to hear that I'm the righteousness of God. I'm going to receive forgiveness of my sins. There's a couple of other, other people I know. Just raise your hand very high. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's somebody here, you've done something, and you still experience the result, the negative result of the, the sin. And you, you say, oh, yeah, but I've, I've dealt with the guilt, and I've dealt with, with all that, but... Is still haunting me because I still experience that shame because of the fruit of the sin. And God wants to deal with that too. It's called shame. So that is you. Also want you to come forward. So those of you who raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to be very bold. I want you to come forward, and you're going to face me, standing right here in front of me. And you're going to face me. And I'm going to look you in the eye. You're going to trust that Jesus sets you free completely. Just come. A lot of you raised your hands. 